Thanks for tuning in to Witch Wednesdays with Steph for a chat about a new witchcraft topic every Wednesday morning. Welcome back to Witch Wednesdays. I'm Steph and you are listening to episode 95, Bones in Witchcraft, which is a really fun, interesting, and also deep topic. There's lots that we can say about it. So we have a lot that we are going to cover in this episode to kind of get you used to the idea and not um, make bones seem like, you know, not so scary because they have sort of a bad rap. And I say we, because I have a guest here with me today. So I am going to let her introduce herself and tell you a little bit about her practice and history with bones um, and about where you can find her online, especially because she has a great video on her brother's bone collection on her YouTube channel. So I will let her take it away. Yeah. And I think that's actually how we met Steph is that you ended up, you're on YouTube as well. Um, my name's Heather Lynn and I'm actually a folk magic practitioner and I identify as a green witch, but I dabble for sure in hedge magic. Um, I practice what I call wild magic, which is kind of a mixture of like intuitive magic, practical magic, and tool-wise, nature is kind of like my everything. Um, so I, I definitely feel like bones is the right thing for me to talk about because I do kind of have like a shamanic-esque um, kind of approach. I love using just like random things I find in nature in my spell work. So I'm not a religious witch at all, but I do honor the cycles of nature. And you can actually find me if you're interested on my Instagram at Wild Woodland Witch. And you can also find me on my YouTube channel, which is the Wild Woodland Witch. And I will have those linked over at witchwednesdays.com and over on Instagram. So you can find her easily all over online. Yes, because she shares great photos and great videos. Um, I know she's just getting started with YouTube, but it doesn't seem like that because I feel like you're really natural at it. Well, that's because for a year I spent time doing it, but I kind of switched my vibe. <laughs> so, I'm so glad you feel that way. Like it's, thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, my newest video is actually on fairies. And um, I just listened to the podcast that you presented on that, which was, I think, episode 88. It's the fair folk deep dive. And mm -hmm. this is another topic I would just like love to explore with you in the future. So who knows? We'll see what, what happens. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, I've actually... I don't Inspire. think I this stuff, but I was actually a professional fairy for 10 years. <laughs> Were you really? I mean, yeah. I saw, I saw your video and you've got the wings and everything, which oh my like, God. It looks I'm, so cool. You make a beautiful fairy. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. You can, I actually have some music that, um, I recently uploaded. Um, if you check out Una Wildwood on Spotify or like Apple music, you can find my fairy music. <laughs> Ooh, yes. And yeah, I, a lot of the audience is very interested in fairies and, and working with fairies. So I know that they will be in love with that video. That yeah. you <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Yeah. I love, it's all about fairy core, right? It's like the new thing. Oh yeah. <laughs> let's talk about bones. I'm, I'm psyched. Yes. So bones, bones in witchcraft, especially for beginners can conjure up sort of a lot of negative feelings because I think it stems from the stereotypes of witches performing sacrifices, but actually animal parts in magic is rooted in traditions from around the world, from a time when hunting and raising livestock were parts of everyday life. So it's not as scary and stereotypical and blood sacrifices. It's really not 
all about that. There's really a lot of culture and tradition behind using bones in your practice. And right off the bat, I want to say, if you don't want to use bones, that's perfectly fine. There are a lot of witches who will never use bones in any way in their practice, in their lives. So it's a completely personal choice. If it doesn't speak to you, there are alternatives, which is something that you were going to mention too. So don't worry. There are, you know, other things that we're going to mention and talk about, but I don't want people going into this, being afraid of the idea of using bones. It shouldn't be this sort of scary topic. Yeah. And for anyone who's ever like thought about it, but maybe just haven't had the time to do the research. I mean, obviously this podcast will be helpful, but there's also a really cool book that was just written in 2020. It's, um, it's of blood and bones working with shadow magic and the dark moon. It also sounds a little scary, but it kind of goes into the folklore and history and kind of gives you like an in-depth, like why we might be afraid, but then how we can kind of evolve from that and make it a more modern approach. Um, but yeah. I love that book. It's a great, great read. Yeah, it's a good one. And like you were saying, like in folk magic, we have like three ways to like interpret how our ancestors use bones. You have like one, the historical texts and notes. Two, you have myths and legends. And then three, you have knowledge from indigenous cultures, which is kind of what you just said on an overview. Um, And a lot of that is preserved in modern times, especially the indigenous cultures. We can just like literally ask people that are alive now. And I think that's really cool. Um, That's because indigenous cultures who have like the most that I keep finding and kind of finding out there is the North Americans, right? The Native Americans. And then also a lot of African cultures use bones. Um, Yeah, I think skulls and bones are probably, like skulls and human bones are probably in a different category from animal bones. And I think some witches find that animal bones seem a lot less scary than human bones. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that that is partially because the lack of availability of human remains, we just don't do that anymore. There are very limited skulls and human bones to get. But I also think that's because we as a society have sort of moved towards shrouding this death in the, this shroud of mystery. And it's not allowed to be talked about or seen. And that's not really how it used to be, um, that now somebody comes in and, and when somebody's deceased, they take away the body right away and the family never really sees it again and doesn't really have the experience that we used to have with death where it, you really stayed with the body in some cultures that still happens. Somebody uh, in a lot of, um, Jewish cultures, they stay with the body. Somebody is always there yeah. at the, uh, funeral home with the body. So they're never alone, but that is not as common, but in years past, there used to be two or three day wakes that were held at the house and the body was still at the house. And we just don't do that anymore. So I think we're so separate from death and from human remains that it seems so scary. Yeah. And I think it's also, um, well, when you think about what what an actual bone is, I, I think actually that's important to break down. Like as a folk magic practitioner, that's kind of how I craft a spell. I sit down and I look at what are my materials? Where did they come from? What are their uses? And how can that apply to my spell? And I think that's like kind of my go-to for everything. 
that I'm crafting. And then sometimes I, I tend to be a, like kind of a uh, very independent witch where I, that's like the majority of my spell work. I do do research and I know in a lot of podcasts and a lot of places where we're talking to newer witches, we're always encouraging witches to do their research. And I think that's important, but I think if we are doing too much research, we often can miss our own intuitive and simple wisdom that we just carry with us. So I think bones are a really good example of this, where if you are walking along and you find, let's say a squirrel bone, um, say you find a, a squirrel remains and you do some research through science and you find out this is a squirrel, um, we then can think about, okay, this is something I'd like to use in my, in my practice. So how, who is this animal, right? That's like the first thing. And I wanna mention a book here because um, I do use other people's resources. It's not just my own scientific knowledge or my own knowledge from, from school, but when I'm talking about science and, and learning about animals, but there's a great book, Animal Speaks by Ted Andrews. And that's, I think that's like a pretty good one where you can like kind of learn not only about like the nature of the animal, but then you can also hear some ideas about the spiritual connection to the animal as well. But for me, I like to kind of have my own relationship um, and kind of go to that first. And then I will also additionally go to other past witches or past um, you know, specialists, let's say, um, books. It's always important to do research. I'm not, I'm not discounting that, but I think that we do have this intuition with us. So for example, if I was to find squirrel bones, I would, the first thing I would think of is, well, what is the nature of the squirrel? I know squirrels um, gather nuts, so they bury nuts. And then through synonymous relationships with trees, they actually plant trees. So if I think about that, hmm, like how can I use that in a spell? Hmm. Oh, like it would be manifesting probably or building something new because, you know, we're thinking about the nut becoming something much large. Um, I would probably end up using the part of the animal that does that work. So, you know, the hands are the ones that are digging and right. building the little hole. And, or I would maybe use the jaw because the jaw is used to um, pouch the nut. Um, and so those bones would then come into a spell with other ingredients for a manifestation. So I just wanted to give an example of animals. And I, I want to be honest and say that I am one of those witches who is a little afraid to use a, a human bones in spell work. Um, I am thinking about it. I'm always thinking <laughs> about it, but I haven't done it yet. And I think I'm thinking about it all the time because I, I have this experience with my brother. My brother's actually, is it okay if I share a little bit about my brother? Yes, so that video was like the coolest <laughs> collection I have ever seen. So if, yeah, I will, I'll link the YouTube, her YouTube channel in general, but I'm specifically going to link to this video where she shows her brother's collection, which I don't even think you got to show the entire thing, but it's just, it was the coolest collection I've ever seen. <laughs> and it's always changing. I'll definitely make another video next year because it's always changing, evolving. Like the oddities community in general is like so cool the way they like, it's kind of like a witch community and that we like always exchanging materials with each other. And that's kind of what they do. They sell each other their materials back and forth. Um, but my brother's name is Rich Marini and he, his Instagram is actually at um, Curation of Curiosities. 
And he's like my go-to for like anatomy knowledge of bones, scientific knowledge. He's like a wealth of knowledge, but oddities is kind of interesting because it's not just bones, it's lots of different instruments and it's very historic things, odd things in the world that are just out there. <laughs> um, and bones just happen to be one of those that we're all curious about, but it is kind of odd. Um, but skulls, I will say in general, are the ones that I feel, I feel okay about using teeth. I would probably be okay with that. Um, it's really the skull that scares me a little bit because it's the, when you look at the history of skulls and the science behind skulls, I mean, skulls hold the consciousness of a human being. So I, I, I actually think it is a little, not scary, but you have to go with caution because that was a human being at some point. Whereas when you're using an animal, an animal has the consciousness of, it's not individual consciousness. I don't know, Steph, do you know how to describe that? The difference between those two kinds of consciousness i i don't but i think the audience knows what we're talking about that it's for an animal their consciousness is so much more limited and they don't have the sort of depth of understanding and memory that a human does so what a human consciousness carries with them through the years and remembers and the energy that stays with them is very different from how an animal would work and an animal's consciousness in that way. Yeah, definitely. They live in more instinct. And so they're all like kind of programmed to do the same sort of thing. Whereas humans, we have some of that, but we're mostly very individualized. So that's why when you're, you know, tapping into say a skull that's from a human, you have to really tread with caution. And uh, I, I actually can't speak to how to do that or the right way to do that. I'm sure there are resources out there of other witches who do that, but that's just not my specialty. Yeah, I think if you are going to work with a human skull specifically, but human bones, I would not start that sort of practice on my own. I would want yeah. and encourage everyone else to find another person who is familiar with that, that you can learn from. And even better if you can learn from them in person, but that's just something that needs to be taught to you. That's really hard information to get from a book. That's more of a, you need a mentor for that kind of work. I, I definitely would agree. And um, I think someone who has like, not just a friend of yours who became a witch three, like two, three years ago, it's gotta be someone who's, who you know has really, delved into the practice because it it is the I mean as a hedge like I have underlying hedge um, energy that I work with and it can it, you have to be able to protect yourself from you have to know how to how to protect yourself from energies that are human related that's all I can say because it's like it's like working with the dead you know and yeah that's I would just to be like you said about yeah, like you said about a squirrel and using squirrel paws or the jaw. Really saying those animals' traits come through their body parts into your magic. That's what you are using it for. But when you are using a squirrel, it's much more intuitive and um, sort of a limited number of options of traits that can come through using squirrel parts. But with a human, 
there is no limits on, on what sort of options may come through with that. And you might not always be prepared. So yeah. it's better to learn as much as you can <laughs> before you sort of dive into that. And, and do that with a mentor that seems like the right choice. Absolutely. But, but in the past, I mean, just, it's amazing how we have used bones in the past. And you brought that up in the beginning saying that, you know, bones have just been like this thing that is a tool, you know? Um, so like in early history, you know, you have bones being used as amulets or keepsakes, and then you have the practical uses of bones also being used by by people who, I mean, we have so many resources now, we have so many things available to us now that I think what you're saying, what you were saying in the beginning is like, it was so much more normal for us because we kind of had to use what we, what was available to us. And now we're living in modern society and in modern society, we don't really need to use bones in that way anymore. Yeah, we are very separated, but I think everyone sort of knows, especially, you know, Native Americans, that part of their culture was using every part of an animal and how disconnected we are from that now from just eating meat at the meat that you buy at the grocery store was so disconnected from what that animal was but in some of those indigenous cultures they used every single part and that included the bones that included making use of every piece of this animal and its life and all of the power that came with that including the bones so long history of of use it was not just you know only witches throughout societies were using it. These people did not call themselves witches through all of those years. It was just the cultural norms of those times. Definitely. And oh, did you know you want to hear a really cool fact? Um, yes. You know, you know the word bonfire, right? We talk mm -hmm. about bonfires all the time. The, the origin of that actually comes from when we used to burn bones in fires. So bone fire. Bone fire, fire. yes. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And yeah, because long ago, our ancestors um, like ritualistically burned bo bones to appease a deity. And I love this one too. In, in divination, a bone, typically a blade bone, usually a sheep, was placed in a fire till it cracked and then analyzed. So this is where you get into how bones were used for divination. Um, and then I've got one more that I think is really cool. Um, sheep or cattle, right? Mostly sheep and cattle were inspected for divination purposes. So after they were burned in the fire, they were looked at for dark spots on the bone, which could indicate like misfortune for the farmer and black indicated death. So it's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Lots of history of divination of using animal parts. I know that there were many cultures who used like the stomach contents and intestines using that for divination, but definitely also bones. And I know that, um, throwing bones is one of the ways that you can use bones in your witchcraft practice today. Modern witches do that. That is, uh, the form of divination using all different kinds of bones. It doesn't have to be specifically all from one animal type of animal or the same animal, you can use a variety of bones that you find and it's called throwing bones or casting bones where you get a cloth that you put out um, similar to casting rune stones, but you cast these bones and depending on 
what kind of bone it is and where it lands and what it lands near. Um, those all mean different things. And that is a form of divination. It's, I, I have never thrown bones. I, I know how it works, but no, I, have never I, I just started a collection to, to learn oh, really to, to make your yeah. own. Oh, what? yeah. So I, I started, um, I've been reading about it and I want to make a YouTube video on it in the future once I experiment some more, but yeah, no, I, I, I think it is fascinating and I'm using like the Celtic, uh, version. Um, I just, I don't have that book in front of me, but I can maybe send it to you later. Uh, but yeah, it's really cool. And I wonder, I, you, did you read the book that I recommended in the, uh, the blood and yes, you yeah, have, blood and bones. They talk yeah. about bone throwing in there. Yeah. Exactly. Bone throwing is in there. Yes. They have an example in that book, like in a, um, she actually has a diagram of like a sample bone reading in that book. Um, so you can kind of see what it looks like. And I know she uses like a wishbone so it means this and in this direction so really interesting I can't wait to see your video on it that will be a lot of yeah I will I will definitely as I learn things I'm it's so funny when you I mean you probably know this when you start a podcast or you start a a channel you it 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 really opens you up to explore things that maybe you would maybe be lazy or not really look into you know like it really pushes you to develop yourself and also to learn new things. And it's, it's really cool. And I love taking people along with me on that. Yeah. That will be a really interesting way. I think that's, you know, one, one of the more common ways to use bones in witchcraft nowadays, but by no means the only option. There are a lot of different ways that witches still use bones. Oh, I, so this morning I was thinking about, you know, I just woke up right away because I knew we were going to talk today. And I thought, myself all of a sudden I had an idea and it's it's not a crazy idea but it's very common you know I think I think all of us you know as witches we were very imaginative and we use our mind so much in our practices oh I think all of us do I don't think it's all physical it's very very mental and um I don't think you actually need the physical bone I think you can completely channel the bone without it physically being there so if you're vegan and you wanted to, like, for example, this is the reason why, okay, yes, you can pull in an animal spirit. You can work with an animal spirit in a different way. You don't have to have a physical part of the animal. You can have a card that represents the animal. But if you wanted to say, like, uh, I use bones the majority of time when I'm, when I'm using bones and spell work, they usually represent foundational energy. So like, if I want to manifest a house, or I want to manifest um, you know, an idea like, um, like I need to develop this foundational knowledge or this foundational energy in order to be able to manifest this next thing, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So bones are really the, the, the structure that holds our entire being together. So if you needed that kind of energy, you could just draw bones or you could envision it. And I think that that you don't actually physically have to have the bone there. Some people just like to, but I actually don't think you really physically, this is my own opinion. I don't think you physically need it. I think you can completely, if you're, if you're centered enough and you really have this vision for what you want to manifest and you want to use the power of bones, which is that foundational energy in the work that you're doing, I think, I think you can just experiment. And if it works for you, great. And if not, then I don't know what else to say, but that is a way to, to manifest um, or use bones without 
without actually physically having them. Yeah, then absolutely. Uh, especially if you are particularly skilled at visualization or if you are an artist and would you know prefer to draw those, everybody sort of visualizes and practices in different ways. So if you are less of that like physical hands-on person and don't need, you know, that item in front of you, then yeah, visualizing or drawing, it can be a really great way to. Visualizing or drawing. And I wonder if there's other way. Well, I mean, you could, even if you're working with candle magic, you could literally draw a bone structure on there. You don't have oh, yeah. to be like an expert artist. Like I love to draw, but I'm not really great. I'm not like <laughs> a professional and, but I can still like, you know, draw a little bone on it, <laughs> like a kid drawing. <laughs> oh yeah, um, definitely. But going back, let's go back to the deeper, darker stuff real quickly, just, just to dabble for a moment. <laughs> um, we talked a little bit about how it can be, you know, inviting something in that you might not be ready for. And I, th I think, I think we should caution people also with animal bones in that way too, just to be safe. Um, but I do think that it's true that sacrifice was a part of many practices in folk magic. And um, like, here's a really fun, fun example. It's not really fun, but long ago, people would take cats, their, their human cats, and they would dry them. I don't know if it was after they had died or if it was a sacrifice was made, but they would place them in the wall to sacrifice them to the home to protect them from vermin. <laughs> oh. So it's like when you look at these things and you listen to these stories, it is, it's only a wonder that, that one would, would be afraid. But I think a lot of times with folk magic, and this is just speaking from someone who's really like purely enriched in folk magic all the time, I think there's a lot of crossover and I've heard this in some of your podcasts too that there is there is this like you know there's there's what long ago people could only do what they knew and we know so much more now whereas back then we didn't have the resources we have we didn't we don't have the the information highways so erupting with so many different sources of information. And long ago, people didn't, you know, people spread information via telephone. And a lot of, even a lot of the folk magic, um, you know, knowledge that I hear, I, I have to question sometimes and say, well, is this, is this, am I only truly, am I believing this because it's my ancestors and because I'm a witch, I am, always observant and, um, you know, I, I honor my ancestors. I care about my ancestors and I, I wanna bring that into my practice. But at the same time, am I bringing in false knowledge because of that? I mean, that's something to really think about. And I think bone magic is like perfect to kind of really question that because there's so much, you know, dark magic that's associated with it. And yet, and yet we can really transform that and make that light, in my opinion. Um, but sometimes when we read these things, it can really, it can really bring about a lot of fear. So I don't know. I just wanted to reiterate that point. Yeah, I agree. And I think there is a lot of association with bones being used only in dark magic and sort of negative or baneful magic, 
but there are ways to use bones in lighter magic too. So I think it's good to, you know, go into things with a healthy sense of, you know, not fear exactly, but to go into it, knowing that it is not the exact same thing as, you know, using crystals and candles. It is a little bit, there is different kind of energy attached to bones that you really have to be prepared for. And, you know, you have to know, especially if you are just finding bones that if that animal died in some sort of tragic way, like a roadkill accident, there could be some sort of more negative energy attached to that, in which case you would maybe want to have a little ceremony for the animal to thank it for its life and release it and help it on its way, its spirit, and get that sort of negative energy off of those bones. Whereas an animal that died of natural causes might not have that same sort of, you know, negative energy attached to it when you first start working with it. So I think those are all important things to kind of go into the practice with before you just sort of dive in. That is just absolutely fantastic to bring all of that up. I like, love that. <laughs> I, I, and I, I think that we should also, I, I want to just mention, like, I think that you can cleanse and use. So at first, when you said that, like something that died on the side of the road, because the other day I actually picked up um, a, some turkey feathers from an animal that had died on the side of the road. And my, my husband was like, Heather, you can't, what, you're crazy. Like, what are you doing? Like the animal died, like, that's not good energy. And I was like, we can cleanse that. And why shouldn't we use what's available to us? And, you know, so I guess it's up to the individual practitioner because, um, you know, maybe the association with that is too much to cleanse or maybe, uh, you know, some sage or some, a ritual like you recommended would be enough for me. I think that things can be cleansed very quickly and, um, that's just my personal belief, uh, you know, well, if you do it well. Um, but yeah, so I, I think and I always feel really terrible when I see roadkill. It always makes me feel really bad. And so I have those negative, you know, associations and emotions with it too. So doing some sort of ceremony or ritual would cleanse my emotions associated with that as well. So if I, I don't want to go into it with, you know, negative connotations that I'm then putting onto those bones. So it's sort of like a, you know, nice therapeutic, you know, let's send this animal on spiritually on its way, um, in a nice way that, that sort of ritual aspect benefits both of us to sort of transform that negative energy that's associated with, you know, getting hit by a car. Now we're like making that into something that's more beautiful for both of us. Yeah. And I think, um, a lot of people ask me, cause I do use animal bones quite a bit. Um, they ask me like the simple stuff, like, well, how do you find them? You know, what do you do once you find them? What if you find them and they're mid, you know, they're not totally rotten off and there's flesh on that. And what do you, do you want me to talk about that at all? And kind of get, yeah, we can, we can definitely cover I think that. Yeah. Roadkill is not the only way to find bones. Yeah. Definitely not. <laughs> if you're just walking along in the road, you know, not the road, but if you're just walking along on a path and you happen to find an animal who's died, um, you, you may just find bones. So you may just find like, you know, I don't know, wherever you live, whatever. It's more common than, than you think when you start oh, yeah. looking for it, it's more common. I think people are like, well, I never see bones anywhere because you're not looking, but you know, once you start looking, you'll see them. Well, there's, you know, you think about how an animal dies and that's important to think about because that will actually give you the indication of how the animal died. If you find an animal that is just pure bone, probably 
uh, that animal was eaten and what's remained has sat there for a while. It sat in the sun. It sat there for probably quite some time. If you see nothing on the bone at all, and that's an indication that you can just pick that one up and that that process has gone, you know, the decay process has truly done, right? And you can take that home. And I just usually wash them with a little soap and water and I let them sit in the sun for a few days and then they're ready to either, you know, go to my collection or whatever I'm gonna use them for. If you find an animal that, like for example, I found a duck recently that was half rotted and I put it in a bag. Um, I knew that that duck had been half eaten. So I can only, I don't know if it died of natural causes. I don't know if it, you know, why the animal didn't get fully eaten. So there, there's all these things to really think about um, whether you want to take that animal or not, because then also you also have the possibility of disease, you know, what kind of always animal. Wear gloves, always, always wear gloves, always wear gloves. <laughs> yes, always be very protective. But I have, I have a duck right now in a, in a bag and it's just sitting there. I have two options. I can bury it in the ground um, deep enough that I think animals where I am aren't going to come and dig it up. Or I can actually clean it myself. And I use a bleach water solution for that. And I use a knife. And then I scrub all of the flesh off and kind of pull out what I need. And then I soap and water, soap and water, sit and bleach for a little bit. And then I, you know, do my whole process where I just put it on the side and let it just kind of air out for quite some time and let it dry out in the sun for a while. And that's kind of how I work with something that's sort of half. If you find, if you find something that is just died and you don't have any experience, it might not be wise to go through that process without doing some research yourself or talking to somebody who has experience as a hunter, et cetera. Um, but that's what I can say about like how to just initially just the practical, like how do I get these bones? <laughs> you can also buy animal bones, but again, that's an ethical moral decision um, that one would have to make. And my brother and I have actually discussed this because there are three different ways that you can actually get bones. You can get ceremonial bones, you can get medical bones. So bones that were donated to science um, or there's one more option that you can but they're all pretty i'm there they they go through standards and i for for buying animal bones i think that there are less standards than there are for human bones oh yes definitely so you do have to be careful purchasing is an option but uh, it would really encourage you to look at who you're you're purchasing from they should be able to answer any questions that you have about their process and where they acquired the bones they shouldn't know where they're getting them from be able to you know speak to you any questions that you have they should be able to answer so important to source them from a good place <laughs> um you can also you know we talked about natural death roadkill purchasing um, there are other ways to purchase directly, and that would be from hunters and farms. Ah. If that is something that's available in your area, um, in where I am right in the heart of Chicago, 
hunting and farms is, is not really an option, but just a little bit up north in Wisconsin, hunting is very popular as it is over in Iowa, especially during deer season. And hunters often are using the deer meat, but then not the bones. So if you do have a hunter in the family that you can um, contact with, then you are able to use the bones after they have cleaned all of the meat off of them, which again, you would have to contact with them in advance because a lot of hunters take their deer to a processing place. <laughs> Once they kill it, they don't usually do the work themselves. So that would be one way to do it. And also um, farms, especially factory farms and farms in general just have livestock that die, whether or not that is for food purposes. Um, there is just a lot of death surrounding owning livestock and having a farm. So a lot of bone options there if you are in the area of having a farm and um, they don't usually do do much of anything with those bones. So and a few other options if that's something that you have in your area. Yeah, and that third other option that I was just mentioning from before is actually for monks and religious sects. And this, this only applies um, to human bones, medical, tribal ceremony, monks and religious sects. Oh, interesting. Isn't that interesting? My brother also told me that, you know, because um, I'm always like, wow, these bones are so old. And he was like, yeah, they just keep going. And I just, for some reason, always thought, oh, well, if you just protect them, they'll live forever or, or they'll, you know, not live forever, but, you know, they'll just exist forever. And my brother did say that bones do deteriorate and sometimes, you know, you just have to wait long enough, <laughs> but they will deteriorate. <laughs> And also climate and moisture are on, on your side if you're trying to, um, to help the decay process. But if you don't want your bones to decay, you wanna keep them out of, out of uh, moisture and, um, and they won't deteriorate very quickly at all because they're very strong, yeah, which kind of gives you another indication as to why you would want to use bones um, at all because they are, they are incredibly strong. And they last a very long time. So much though so that I was tricked into thinking that they could last forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they, I mean, they do. Just think of how many bones are still in existence under the streets of France. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's just lined with bones under there everywhere. I know that's um, creepy for people to think about, but you know, France and Rome, all these old cities have these crazy crypts that are um, underneath and just lined with bones and skulls and they don't do anything to preserve them. It's just that they are underground in a cool climate and have been there for thousands of years and they are all still there. So you, bones really do last a long time. They will outlast you in your practice. So definitely. I, I just think they are fascinating and um there is this power to them that I can't, I don't know, it's hard for me to quantify and, and share, but that's been my own experience. Just the, uh, I think they're a, a, a really amazing tool. And, and as a green witch, you know, that's kind of bold of me to say, because it's not, you know, the majority of what I'm using, but um, they are like an important element of my practice personally. And uh, that's the reason why. So I'm so glad that uh, you asked me to speak about it because it's something I've been, you know, I guess building a passion for because of my brother and his, and his collection and how that's all developed. 
it's been amazing. My brother actually told me, told everybody when he was a child that he wanted to be a skeleton when he was, was in kindergarten, that that's what he wanted to be as a professional. And here he is, you know, 30 so years close. later, trading bones for, for a partial living, I suppose. <laughs> it's more of a hobby, but it's very yeah, interesting. I mean, I think they are fascinating once you you know, sort of dive into the subject. And I know people shy away from the, anything to do with the end of the life cycle. So yeah. especially in witchcraft, people want to shy away from, you know, death and winter and darkness, shadow, and that includes bones and because it's scary. The unknown is scary. We all feel that way. Nobody's not, and we don't know what, what comes next. Nobody knows, nobody can be certain. So that is sort of a scarier aspect, but I think once you confront it and start working with it and start working with something like bones, you realize how much power there is in that because nothing really ever ends. You know, it, it just goes into the next cycle of creating something new and starts all over again. That is the way of the world. So death is just one part of that. And the bones are all one part of this whole cycle. Yeah, and you just captured just almost a reflection of, of what it's like to be a witch. You know, we are we are always our holidays, everything we're celebrating. We're celebrating the cycle of of birth and, and death on a on every year. That's kind of what we're doing. We're 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 honoring what is happening in the earth every year. And it's hard for us to kind of uh, face our own shadow. I mean, that's also additionally why many of us work on our shadow through our shadow books. But it's, it. I think actually more so than our lifestyle really actually encourages us to look at shadow and to be open to, to watching the ebb and flow of the seasons. And that does reflect into our own spirit and our own lives. So Bone is just yet another example of, of a calling to really be okay with the cycle of nature and to accept that. Um, I think it's quite beautiful actually. And it's, I'm glad that we were able to have this conversation to show a different perspective on something that could, could really be scary or you know something to shy away from, but yet I think actually it's something to celebrate and look at and explore and be fascinated with and be okay with. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, working with bones, it's, it's a little bit different from, you know, cleaning, finding and cleaning the bones and, and doing all of that sort of work, as opposed to if you, you know, bought something um, is a little bit different. It's a little bit harder work. And then actually working with them, it's a little bit different if you are just, you know, placing some antlers on your altar, as opposed to if you are actively working with the energy of the bone um, for a manifestation spell is there's different levels there of, of right. how there's difficult lighter. that work is. And maybe some of that stuff is not exactly beginner work. Maybe some of it. And I think step one, I think you just mentioned, Steph, just welcoming it to your altar and making room for it. And then step two, maybe perhaps opening yourself up to that energy, maybe perhaps going into some spell work, maybe reaching out to somebody who's a more advanced witch who can guide you. All of, I think all of that is a possibility for every witch, but we don't have to do any of it. That's what's so cool about being a witch. We get to choose our own practice. 
Yeah. And there are a lot of people who, even as seasoned witches and who are perfectly comfortable with sort of darker magic and shadow work who will never use bones and have no interest in using bones in their craft. And that's perfectly fine as well. It's definitely not a requirement. I know altars with antlers are hugely popular right now in this season. And that is, has to do with the antlers being associated with Yule, which is, you know, coming up in December. So it's sort of this like darker season when the, you know, males have the giant antlers that they are then shedding. So it is associated with this season for that reason. So a lot of, you see a lot of altars with antlers at this time, which I love. And I think that's a great way to start like introducing it. But if you have no real interest in that and, and putting any antlers on your altar, it's, it's not a requirement. Absolutely. As much as you might see it right now, not a requirement at all. I, I think it's, I think it's just so cool how we all just get to share what we're into. And then we kind of all just kind of decide for ourselves what works. And I love that about witchcraft. I'm actually quite in love with that idea that we get to be so independent in our own choices for what's right for us individually. Um, but I'm also a solitary witch, so <laughs> I feel quite a, uh, a vibe of independence. <laughs> I'm also practicing alone with nobody's input. <laughs> Very true. Very true. And I, I actually, I have a friend who, who has a beautiful piece. Uh, she actually wears antlers around Yule and it's, um, she puts, you know, she puts them on her head. She has this beautiful crown that she's made with them and it's just I I see them um, I see them worn a lot also in the um in uh, a couple of different cultures they actually wear the antlers as well yes I have seen that and also that's that's something that's that's also something we didn't mention I had mentioned it in the early part there are a lot of cultures that wear bone as a piece of jewelry and it's a way to take in the the energy of that animal or to honor that part of the season that like you said with the antlers I mean you couldn't wear that around your neck but <laughs> a piece of it somebody would take it and they would take a piece of it and then they would carve it and they would have a symbol perhaps on it and then that would be worn but each culture has their own way that they make jewelry and whether it's spiritual or not some people some cultures actually just wore them and there was really no spiritual reason it was just because it was available and what else is there to do but to carve this thing right <laughs> and so a lot of times we like associate everything has to be spiritual because it's from our ancestors but in fact they were also just people who were <laughs> trying to pass the time and love each other <laughs> absolutely but yeah there is there's a lot of ways to sort of incorporate smaller bones into your jewelry pieces or in sachets I like to think that you can use bones in the very similar ways that you use crystals, that you use a certain crystal for a very specific purpose, that it's associated with some sort of correspondence and you use it in a spell jar, or you use it as jewelry, or you use it on your altar. Bones are the same way in that for a specific animal, it has a specific correspondence that it's bringing to it. So when you are wearing that, you are bringing in the spirit of that particular animal for whatever reason. And it, it really, for animals, it's very intuitive of what you feel 
that that animal is bringing and it's going to be different for everybody because I would have a very different experience of what cat bones mean to somebody who is terrified of cats and doesn't like cats. We're going to have very different experiences with that exact same bone. So it's very intuitive. There are, you know, dictionaries that you can get if you need some guidance on what kind of bones that you're looking for, but it's just about bringing in that, that spirit and trying to manifest that into your day, whether you are carrying that with you, whether you're wearing it as a necklace, um, lots of different options to use there. Yeah. And there's also, um, powders that I've seen sold. I've never used them, but I know people that seems to be an item that's out there. So it's basically somebody has ground it almost like if you bought like almost crystals, right? We buy, you know, that ground up crystals is also used in spell work. Um, it doesn't have to be the whole thing. So it's just, it's fascinating. There's so many materials out there and so many ways to, again, you have to be very conscious. I think everybody should be conscious of where you're getting that material from. That's why I like to collect things myself. But again, you might not have access to everything you need and want. So checking in with source, of course, is important. Yeah, and again, this would be where finding a mentor would be very helpful if this is something that you're really, you know, interested in and yeah, for the more really, advanced. yeah want want to learn more about and sort of dive into for yourself and do this for yourself then definitely finding a mentor can be really helpful and also i something we didn't mention which we probably should is um, we want to basically find bones if we find them we don't want to we don't want to we don't want to hurt any animals or um I don't know. I just want yeah, to def def definitely not you. If you are, there are some, uh, closed religions that do animal sacrifice, but outside of those closed, very limited practices, you don't want to be killing or sacrificing an animal for the sake of your spell work, just to get some bones. Because I think that you are bringing very negative energy onto it with that, by doing that. I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah. And this is where, you know, my own practice, that's just not something I do. Um, but I don't want to judge anyone else, you know, or put out any judgment for anyone else in, in any of their practices, especially those types of communities that, you know, this is a traditional belief. And so there it is. But if you're just a normal, not a normal, that's a, a wrong word, but if you're just a person who's a witch, who's practicing, you know, that's not the right call probably <laughs> yep I, I i don't like the whole animal sacrifice thing is is not for me i would feel just bringing i'd be bringing too much negativity to the whole situation and you can work with animals in their live state as well so yeah. i mean don't go bring a lion into your living room, but you can work with the spirit of a lion and the imagery of a lion and still get that. You don't need to have lion bones or a live physical lion in your house to get lion energy. I know we're not talking about this, but I feel that way about plants as well. A lot of times, you know, we grind up plants or we cut down plants or we chop up and, and there's nothing wrong with that to, to some degree, but um, we can actually just work with the living being as well. We don't necessarily need the materials. Um, so I think it's a to each of their own kind of thing where, you know, we all have our own way of doing things and what's okay for us and what's not okay for us. And we just kind of have to keep that in check. 
Yeah, absolutely. But good thing to mention, because I would have totally forgotten <laughs> to say anything. Yeah, I know. It's just like you, you don't think of the extreme versions, but I just wanted to mention that I, just in case. But yeah, so bones. <laughs> I think that I think we're, is- we boned out. <laughs> yeah, I think that's everything that we wanted to talk about for this episode. I know- on the one hand, it was a lot, but on the other hand, this really is like an overview on bones. There's so much more, you know, detail that we could get into. So if you have any questions, first of all, I highly recommend, uh, checking out the YouTube video that I'm going to link because her brother's bone collection is serious, <laughs> just amazing. And just seeing it lovely, and seeing how look at, yeah, just seeing how, you know, it's set up and the, the different types of bones, I think can just answer a lot of questions to just visualize what that can look like in practice. Um, but yeah, if you have any questions, you can absolutely reach out to either of us on Instagram, on YouTube, whatever you feel comfortable. Um, and I will have the resources in the books that we mentioned linked over at whichwednesdays.com. So if there's anything else you want to talk about <laughs> related to bones, we will be around to answer any questions and obviously stay tuned for this, um, bone throwing episode that yes. you're going to have on your YouTube channel. Oh, it'll probably be in the spring, maybe the summer by the time I get around to it. But, you know, like all of us, we're always just developing our practice. And then to get to the phase of being able to share is, is a process. But as I love your uh, podcast so much, I've become a fan. So um, well, you know, thank you very I'll, much. I'll be listening for more <laughs> on these topics. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I really, really love that we connected and I hope we can spend some time in the future. Yes, uh, absolutely. This was a lot of fun. And um, we were, we are definitely going to have her back again, guys. So, so don't worry. You will be hearing more from her because she has so much to share and more topics that I would love to pick her brain on, especially folk magic for one. So <laughs> stay tuned. But I think and Steph, at the end of my, my YouTube video, I always say, and blessings to your magic. And I'd love to say that to everybody. Blessings to your magic and Steph, blessings to you, my dear. Oh, that is a beautiful sentiment. Thank you. And that yeah. is everything that we have for you this week. And I will see you next week. Thanks, guys. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Need even more witchcraft? Subscribe to Patreon for exclusive bonus content three times a week and order Sabbat boxes and other supplies at witchwednesdays.com. Be sure to follow on Instagram at witchwednesdayspodcast.